Okay, um, those of you that are we're getting back from the holidays, we're going to finish up going back and forth between uh, Galatians and Judges, and then we're going to hit a Bible basics in the spring. So we've still got some, some final sermons in Galatians, and we still have some final sermons in Judges. Uh, we saw Jawbone Hill last week. This week, we're going to look at Galatians. Next week, we're going to go back and finish Samson. And then I'm still debating. I don't know what to do. So maybe y'all could pray about this, and maybe you could email, text your preferences. There are two devastatingly gross, like, what are they doing in the Bible stories at the end of Judges? Like, if you haven't read them before, you want to go home today, read them, because you need to know and make an intelligent decision and prayer. Do you want those to be preached or not? That's what I'm wrestling with. Uh, Again, as we move through Galatians, Galatians is like this. It's too good to be true. Why haven't I heard this before? Why are you like one of the first people that are telling me this message of Galatians? That's what Galatians does for you. Galatians turned over civilizations. Galatians changed lives and churches. Galatians led to things like reformations and revivals. Galatians is an astounding, powerful, catastrophic, I've never heard this before book. Judges is like, what in the world is this doing in the Bible? How, God, could you put this in the Bible? Why is this in the Bible? Why am I reading this? And so the next chapters, well, really after Samson, those next two chapters will test that sentiment more than anything you've ever read in the Bible. So I'm, I could, like, not do it. No, we're doing them. Of course we're doing them. You don't need to pray about it. We're going to do the last two things. Even I'm thinking about it, we're going to do them. All right. So here we go. We're in Galatians. We're in Galatians 5. You hear it 3,000 times a day in your head. 3,000 times a day in your head you hear it. What is it? You hear it 3,000 times a day from others. Your mom. Your husband. Your dad. Your sister, a friend, Sally at H-E-B. You hear it from a spiritual mentor. You hear it from a teacher. You hear it from a coach. You hear it from a professor. Uh, You hear it from someone who's self-absorbed on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or big corporate media channel on TV. What is it? You hear it 3,000 times a day from every conceivable place in life. You hear it at the home. You hear it at school. You hear it at work. You hear it in the dentist's office. You hear it at Common Grounds. You hear it at church, in a worship service, in a Bible study, in a redemptive group, a life group, a a care group, a counseling session. You hear it. What is it? You hear it 3,000 times a day when you're stressed, when you're angry. When you're anxious, 
when you're not good enough. You hear it when you don't get what you want. You hear it when you're abused. You hear it when you're entitled. You hear it when you're rejected. You hear it when you're underappreciated. You hear it when you're invisible. What is it? What do you hear? Before Parks and Rec, before The Office, and before Friends, there was Seinfeld. One famous episode is about an alternative holiday called Festivus. The holiday for the rest of us. George Costanza's family celebrates Festivus on December 23rd. Such traditions include feats of strength and the airing of grievances. One memorable Festivus, George's father, Frank, gathers everyone around the table for the tradition of the airing of grievances. He declares, I've got a lot of problems with you people, and now you're going to hear all about them. Then he turns to his son, George, and yells, you're weak, George. You're just weak. There it is. The voice. You hear it 3,000 times a day. How do you silence the voice? Please stand for the hearing of God's word. It will be quick. Do not blink. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again. Again, again, to a yoke of slavery. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, Lord, thank you that you are for us. Thank you that you're for us. And I pray that through your word right now, we would experience that you are so deeply for us, it would be shocking, overwhelming, and incredibly moving. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You're weak, George. <laughs> You're just weak. The voice, you hear it 3,000 times a day. So what's the voice? What is it? What is this voice? What is it? Well, the Greeks personified the voice into a goddess, specifically a goddess named, does anybody know it? Nemesis. Right? So in the Greek world, Nemesis was everywhere. Nemesis was all watching. Nemesis was suffocating. In the Greek world, Nemesis was demanding, all judging, suffocating. In the Greek world, Nemesis was controlling, all enslaving, suffocating. In the Greek world, Nemesis was the goddess of justice. She was the original punisher. She even bullies her way into the English language. 
right? All the English dictionaries, I looked it up. You look at the English dictionaries, here's how they define nemesis. Is an opponent or enemy, the inescapable agent of your downfall. Something that you cannot conquer, something you cannot achieve. Your nemesis. Well, Georgia beat their nemesis the other night. I don't know why I brought that up. Because I don't have a stake in any of those two. But just to kind of culturally make it relevant, I guess, the Apostle Paul calls the voice that you hear 3,000 times a day. The Apostle Paul calls your nemesis the goddess of justice, the goddess who's the punisher. What does he call it? The law. Paul, his original audience says, you better define that. Pastor in today's church, I don't know about that. Okay. What is the law? Well, we've already, we're at chapter 5. So those of us that do not have a good idea of the law is, I, I can only give the cliff note version. I'm not going to rehash four, four chapters, our first verse in chapter 5. So the cliff note answer is this. If you, what is the law? Here's the cliff note answer. The law is the Ten Commandments. You could call that the capital L law, uppercase law. And then there's lowercase little laws in life, endless little laws of life. And you could call those the elementary principles of the world, Paul calls them in Galatians. So what's the Ten Commandments? Well, it's the moral law, right? We, most of us know it. If you've gone into any sort of church, they're usually in old buildings from a long time ago. Um, these are, I want you to think of the moral laws like a spiritual, the spiritual fabric of the universe. The moral law is woven into your very being. It's actually written on your own heart because you're an image bearer. And so the words in the Bible that describe the character of God, like righteousness and justice and holiness and goodness and love, has been embedded into your heart. It's been written into your very being because you're an image bearer. And it's the spiritual fabric of the universe. It's just the way the world works. It's how God designed everything. It's because when he looks at what he created, he saw that it was good. But as Edward said, what he saw that was good is that he saw himself. He saw his glory in what he made. Calvin, this old theologian, says everything that exists is for the theater of his glory. That's how I want you to think of the moral law. It's the spiritual fabric of the universe. You, to tear the spiritual fabric of the universe is to go against reality. It's stupid. It's it's what happened to me when I talked to one of my first Brown students that some of y'all heard this conversation. I mean, I, had, I never forget it. I, had, I was talking to him. He filled, out the con he filled out the survey about a spiritual interest questionnaire. And then I realized, oh, he just wants to play with me. And he says, oh, I don't believe that stuff. I said, oh, okay. He says, yeah. He goes, what do you see when you look outside? I said, oh, I see green grass. He goes, no, I say it's orange. And I went, oh, here we go. So you know what I said? I said, okay, that's fair. Let's just, just for fun, let's just have a case, I mean, just a fun conversation. Are you okay with having a fun conversation? He's like, yeah, I'm okay with having a fun conversation. Let's just say for fun, I took you by the neck, 
and we went to the top of this dorm, and I held you over the dorm, and I said, I don't believe gravity exists. Do you? And he looks at me like, you're going to do it. No, 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 no. So the spiritual fabric of the universe is reality. It's just the way it is, right? The elementary principles of the world, what Paul calls them in, in Galatians 4, are the little laws of life. These are laws like you shall be thin or you shall be beautiful or like you shall be liked or liked by the right people, right? Or the law of you shall be a good mom and you shall be a good student and you shall be a good athlete and you shall be a good musician and you shall get good grades. Or the one, you shall go to college, you shall be successful, you shall get married, and you shall have 1.3 children. You shall think this way ideologically. These are the little laws of life. They're like twisted ripples from the other law. The other law lands in life, and these are the twisted ripples of them that spin off in every culture and every ideology and every home. You know, we call them traditions. That's the law. Capital L, Ten Commandments, little laws of life. Those are the laws that Paul's talking about. So do you got it? Now more can be said about the law. I could talk about the divine dimensions of the law that God has spoken and continues to speak in two words, law and gospel. I could talk about the cosmic aspects of the law, that there are two ages and two worlds, two kingdoms Old theologian called them covenants, works and grace. These are two realities, two ages that run parallel to each other and intersect each other. I could talk about the personal aspects or the existential aspects of the law. There's, a, there's an old self, Paul calls, the Adamic self, the flesh, and then there's the spirit. There's this new self, this new creation. But we're going to stick with the Ten Commandments and the endless elementary principles of the world, okay? So why is the law, the ten and the little laws of life, the voice? I don't have COVID, but I do have a cold, <coughs> so I had to cough. And I need to say that, and I'm going to need to keep my throat lubricated. All right. Why is the law, the ten, the endless little laws of life, why is it the voice, though? Why is it the nemesis? Why is it? <laughs> in chapter 4 of Galatians, Paul goes into the more that I just said about the law that I didn't want to get into. So for the record, I do not want to do what we're about to do. So for the record, this tested my commitment to expository biblical preaching. Expository biblical preaching is Bible preaching. It's not topical preaching, it's Bible preaching, which means we're committed to preaching through the Bible. And so I was tested in that because I didn't want to do this. Honestly, I did not want to do this. But for some reason, God and Paul think you should know this stuff. So they think you need to hear this. In chapter 4, Paul goes all theological on us. Before that verse in chapter 5, verse 1. Just before, he goes all theological. He goes, it's like he read Calvin or something or he read Meredith Klein. I don't know. He just went crazy. And what he ends up doing is he starts mixing the cosmic stuff I talked about and the existential personal stuff I started talking about, and the divine dimension stuff aspects I started talking And he starts mixing them all together in this long 
list, theological, even called it allegorical, <coughs> this long list of two sons, two women, two mountains, two covenants, two Jerusalems, two modes of existence. Earlier in the earlier chapters, he would have said there are two justifications, justification by works, justification by faith. He would have said there are two sanctifications, two ways to get healthy as a Christian, two ways to get healthy as a church, building your life around justification by faith or justification by works. One's going with the spiritual fabric of the universe, the other one's tearing it. The other one's going up and saying gravity doesn't exist. So what Paul is doing, what's his point in doing this? His point is, his point is verse 1 of chapter 5. His point is, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. His point is, the law is the voice of one of the sons, and one of the women, and one of the mountains, and one of the covenants, and one of the Jerusalems, the slave one. Why is the law the voice? Because the law is a whole cosmology, a whole world, a whole voice of slavery. You're weak, George. You're weak. 3,000 times. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, first imperative. <coughs> Therefore, do not submit again, second imperative, to a yoke of slavery. So how do you not submit again to the voice? How do you not submit again to the voice of slavery? How do you not submit again to the law in this way? How do you silence the voice? The answer from the whole book of Galatians so far is stop trying to silence the voice yourself. Paul, from the very beginning, he's just like appalled. Why are you trying to do this yourself? <coughs> Why are you trying to silence the voice yourself? You can't. The slave son cannot silence the voice. The slave woman cannot silence the voice. The slave mountain that bears fruit, the text says, that has children for slavery cannot silence the voice. The slave covenant cannot silence the voice. The slave Jerusalem, the one below, cannot silence the voice. The slave or the flesh mode of existence cannot silence the voice. Justification by works cannot silence the voice. Sanctification by works cannot silence the voice. You can't silence the law. You can't silence the voice. It's impossible. Remember when Jesus would talk to people and he would say stuff and the disciples would go, it's impossible. And what did Jesus say? No, no, come on. It's not. Put on a happy face. Tomorrow will be a better day. You know what he said to him? You're right. But all things are possible with God. 
It is impossible. You're unable. You're incapable. The slave son, the slave woman, the slave mountain, the slave covenant cannot. Trying to silence the law in Galatians is the very definition of what sin is. It's trying to self-justify. It's taking the Savior's place and trying to deal with your own sin. It's what he calls self-salvation or self-justification or self-sanctification. It's the very essence of of what he calls sin. But I'm not trying to silence the law, some of you are asking right now, or you're saying in your mind, in your head, I'm not trying to do this, you're saying, you're asking, you're puzzled. Did you know that every time you need approval, you're trying to silence the law? You're just trying to use other people to silence it for you. If you just get their approval, it'll silence the law. You'll finally be approved. You'll finally be justified. If the human being can justify you, you're justified. If the human being will approve you, you're not condemned. You're not a nobody. You're not a nothing. But then watch what happens when the human being criticizes you and the human being judges you. Why is there so much shame? Why why are we condemned to our very being? Because we're trying to silence the law through another human being. You can't silence the law. I mean, we could talk about, did you know that you try to silence the law when everything's banked on your performance? How well you do in your job, how well you do at school, how, how well you do on the athletic field? Like you feel good about yourself, you're okay about yourself when you perform well? That's trying to silence the law. I mean, what is your thing, your gift, your talent, your ability, your performance? That's trying to silence the law. But wait! Isn't the law the instruction manual for the Christian life? But wait! Doesn't the law help us live holy lives? Doesn't the law make holy churches? You ask because you're deeply offended. I know because I talk to you guys all the time. Let's just stick with Galatians since we're here. Let's just look at the fruit of the Spirit, okay? Let's just look at the fruit of the Spirit. Two weeks ago, we looked at the fruit of the Spirit in something called the strange sanctification. Remember that? I think some of you are still trying to recover from that one. But we looked at the fruit of the Spirit. So here, it's the fruit of the Spirit is indisputably about sanctification, right? Everybody knows that. It's indisputably about personal holiness, relational holiness, growing in Christ-likeness, right? The fruit of the Spirit. Everybody knows that. So let's talk about the fruit of the Spirit. How do you grow in the fruit of the Spirit? Do we grow in the fruit of the Spirit by the power of the imperative or the law? Like you say things like this, become more loving. Or we say things like this, be joyful this new year. Or we say things like this, cultivate peace when you're running scared. Here's how. Or be patient in the workplace. 3,000 transforming truths. 
Or be, no, I already said that one. Choose kindness. Choose kindness personally, relationally, racially, culturally, politically, because it's annoying when you don't. <coughs> Grow goodness deep in the soil of your heart and your relationships. Be faithful, not unfaithful. Here's how. Seriously. Do you grow in the fruit of the Spirit by the imperative, by the command, by the law? Has anyone ever grown in the fruit of the Spirit by the imperative, by the command, by the law? Paul says that very effort is trying to silence the law. It's submitting again to a yoke of slavery. Notice what Paul does after he lays out the works of the flesh. Do you remember what he does? He did the works of the flesh in six, and then he went into the fruit of the spirit. You see what happens? He switched images. He went from active flesh, works of the flesh, to passive fruit, fruit of the spirit. I'm not even going to say it because I don't want to get in trouble, so I'm going to hide behind someone else's skirt. Jason McKelly explains, the opposite of vice or the works of the flesh is the vine of which we are but branches. What you do not hear in any vineyard is the sound of anyone's effort except the gardener's. Fruit does not force itself to grow. Fruit is the byproduct of a plant made healthy. To think that you're responsible for cultivating joy and kindness in your life is to miss Paul's entire point, that apart from the grace of God in Christ Jesus, you are a dead plant. But in him... You've been made alive. And living plants bear the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit's fruit. The other son, the other woman, the other covenant, the other mountain, the other mode of existence. How do you silence the voice? The answer is you don't. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Stop trying to silence the law. Stop trying to silence the voice yourself. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, first imperative, therefore, and do not submit again, second imperative, yoke of slavery. Just for fun, how many commands imperatives do you think are in Galatians 1 through 4? The answer is three. 105 verses 3. Are you ready for them? Become. That's the command like me. Paul's saying become like me. I'm a free man. Okay, that's number one. That's in Galatians 4.12. 4.21. Tell me. Second command. There's only three. Second command. Tell me. You who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? He's just basically saying everything we just said for the first 20 minutes. Do you really listen to the law? He's, that's his command. Do you really listen to the law? That's what he's saying, right? Third. Cast out the command, quoting Genesis. Cast out is the command, quoting from Genesis 21. Cast out the slave woman and her son. In other words, stop trying to, stop trying to silence the law yourself. So there we go. You think that the way, I mean, listen, the way Galatians 1 through 4 is taught, preached, podcasted, prayed, worshiped, used in Bible studies, you'd think there are 3,000 imperatives and there's only three. You're weak, George. You're just weak. 3,000 times a day. So how do you silence the voice? How do you silence the voice? 
the voice only stops when the law is fulfilled. The voice only stops when the law is fulfilled. For freedom, Christ has set us free. When you live a perfect life, the voice of the law stops. When you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, the law, the voice stops. When you love people and love your enemy, not just your wife, not just your kids, but your enemies, the one that thinks you're a jerk, the one who is a jerk, then the law, the voice is silent. When you and your very being and the way you think, the way you feel, the way you desire, the way you do, and the things you do in your being and your doing, when you're perfect, the voice of the law is silenced. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Paul says it twice, for freedom, Christ has set us free, second time. Whom the Lord sets free is free indeed. How did he do it, though? How did he do it? He was enslaved to the law says that earlier in Galatians 4. We don't need to look at it. You can go read it. He willingly, the one who is freedom himself, became a slave. He went into the cosmology of the slave woman, the slave son, the slave mountain, the slave covenant, the flesh mode of existence. And he went in there, and he found you. And he said, I'm taking your place. Get out. And then he fulfilled positively all the demands of the law in his being, his thinking, his feeling, his experiences, his desires, and his doing, his relating. And what you're watching in those three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John 4, when you're watching, you're watching him fulfill the law for you. Do you realize that? That's why that book is recorded. Sure, it's like, here he is, here's Jesus. Here he is as God. But what you're primarily getting in the incarnation is the substitute human being who fulfills the law perfectly. You ever wondered why the the narrators of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the pattern they took in telling the story, the pattern they take in telling the story, one, he's the second Adam, the true Adam, and he's the second Israel, the true Israel. So he starts rehearsing what they chose to record of his life is the, the way that Israel walked because he's doing what Israel didn't do. He's doing what Adam didn't do. He's doing what you didn't do. Every time he loves like that and worked 
like that and obeyed like that. He was doing it for you to fulfill the law. For freedom, Christ set you free. He had your freedom as his mission. That's what Paul's saying. For freedom, that's the mission. For freedom, the destination, the end, the ultimate goal of Jesus. For freedom, Christ set you free. The law in Jesus, the voice in Jesus, silence. Be still. And it was. He muzzled its mouth. There's another voice, and it's the voice of Jesus. You are free. Whom the sun sets free, free indeed. The law says you're weak, George. You're just weak 3,000 times a day. Jesus says you're free. I am your law. So, refuse to listen to shame in your life. That's standing firm. Get on with your life. That's standing firm. Get up again wherever you need to get up again. That's standing firm. Do the next thing. What's the next thing you need to do today? That's standing firm. Love your wife. Love your kids. Love your church. Love your neighbor. That's standing firm. Go to church. Worship God. Get involved in a life at church. That's standing firm. Work hard at work. Work hard at work. That's standing firm. Play hard. When you're on the ball field, you be the best you can be. If you're playing football, you hit harder than anybody else on the field. That's standing firm. Be creative. That's standing firm. You're in a leadership position. Lead well. That's standing firm. You have a business and you have employees and you are taking care of, you take care of them. You, you do a good work. You, you love your neighbor by doing a good work. That's standing firm. Check your tongue. That's standing firm. Throw a party. That's standing firm. For freedom. For freedom, Christ has set you free. You're free indeed. Amen.